Hello, and welcome back to The Doctor Is In. We're picking up our interview from last week with Chris and Andrew of Pharmacan. We hope you're having a happy holiday, and thank you for growing with us. How important is it to have an R&D designated area? And and what, what tips would you give to other growers in setting one up? Chris and I were, were actually thinking about this earlier, and kind of what the first thought that popped in my head is just like every grower is, is actively doing R&D. Like every, I've never met a single farmer that doesn't tinker and, and mess around, you know, with, with trying to improve their systems. I, I think that everyone does it. Um, I think it's like it's a natural calling of that uh, profession it, of being a farmer is to innovate and improve. And, and so the, the best advice to someone who wants to maybe start doing that maybe more purposefully or with more intent is, is to make sure that they have a good, uh, control, uh, you get, you have that you, you, you limit your test to a single variable, the best you can, and you, you run a control group alongside your test group at the same time, you know, don't look at last year's harvest or, or even last week's harvest, you know, cause there's in crop science, the, the life cycle of the plant, there's so many things going on, which means so many things can go wrong. And so you just want to make sure that any confounding noise or nonsense is happening to both your control group and your test group at the same time. So I would say, you know, I don't know if you got to build a room or a special place for it. You can do, you can do a, a research project anywhere. I mean, I could, I could probably fantasize about the Rolls Royce of a controlled environment mm-hmm. growth chamber where you can where you have controls over all these uh, perfectly, uh, these different variables, but I, I think you can do it anywhere. Uh, the biggest advice is to make sure you, you do a you limit it to one variable and you have a, a, a test group and a control group right next you know, side by side at the same time. That's excellent advice. Go ahead, Chris. I, I was going to say, yeah, just to add to that, you know, early on, we didn't have by any stretch of the imagination, the luxury of controlled environment growth chambers to do this type of R&D. And so it was very much done here in our production facility. And I think for the purpose of production, it's actually, it can be very important to be doing the R&D in the same space where you're doing production because that those are ultimately the variables that those plants are gonna be subject to. Um, everybody would love to do really cool esoteric applied research in a, a plant growth chamber. That sounds awesome, right? But, um, you know, especially at the time, we never were going to have, our facilities weren't ever going to be capable of that level of control at that time. So, you know, and especially with how cultivars perform, right, you know, that they need to be subject to normal production environment to make sure that they can be productive in those conditions. And, And so your experiments need to be able to put plants to the test in those same environments where production is happening. Um, Because we're not just doing this, obviously we're interested from a research perspective, but at the end of the day, these plants have to produce um, because that's what's paying the bills. How many plants do you need to trial? I mean, can you do it with three plants? Do you need a a room that's 500 square feet large? Like I I just walked one of my uh, research uh, assistants through uh, how to do a power analysis. And so, you know, there's schools of thought that could back, back that conversation up. We, um, we piggybacked in Colorado where, where our department started off of kind of a regulatory requirement. Uh, the state mandates that we have to tag every single plant for, mm. um, for, you know, diversion control. We have to, every single plant that gets grown, 
we have to track everywhere it goes, put a little barcode on it and, and, uh, weigh it. Every time you take a leaf off of it, you have to weigh how much that leaf weighs and tell the state you removed a leaf from it. Uh, and when you harvest it, you have to tell the state exactly how much that plant weighs. And then when you, the t- whole total weight, and then you have to separate the bud from it. And then, and then you dry and dry and cure your bud. And then you have to reweigh that. So you know exactly how much, uh, you know, dry bud weight was from that plant. And so what we had to do all that tr- data tracking anyway. And so I saw it as a really awesome opportunity uh, to have really big sample sizes for experiments that would actually let you do uh, statistical tests on it. Cause you could do, you could start doing, um, you know, ANOVAs and T-tests and, and, mm-hmm. and get significant differences on maybe even, um, you know, differences that maybe, maybe appear to be tiny because of a 1% or a 2% yield increase really adds up if you could prove that it's, that was significant. Um, so we, we piggybacked off of that. And so our sample, our sample sizes are actually usually pretty huge, but they don't have, they don't have to be, that ended up being an interesting kind of, um, that was kind of making lemonade out of, uh, out of kind of a tedious regulatory uh, requirement. Did you say you have to track every leaf? Yeah. (laughs) Like, is that true everywhere? I'm, I can't speak for for (laughs) all the different, uh, uh, but yeah, that um, the there's been some relaxation of, of rules, especially as as we've had an opportunity. The regulators have, have kind of they had to write. I, I feel for them. They, they had to write a bunch of yeah. rules really quickly and, and get this stuff out there and let industry start doing their thing. And and so they didn't always hit every ball out of the park. But they, uh, particularly in Colorado, I have to give a lot of kudos there because they've engaged a bunch with you know plant scientists and have been opening to learning and is. With the, the whole tracking every leaf thing, it got a little bit easier. Um, we were able to kind of communicate where the cannabinoids are in the plant and, you know, what parts of the plant you, you should be more or not at all concerned with. And so we got, to, we got a little bit of relaxation there. We do, we do still have to track all the discarded leaves that you maybe remove during kind of pruning during the farming process. We have to we have to weigh them all and, and, and track that information for the state. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to any farmer, you know, everyone, I know everyone, you know, sometimes it, it can be frustrating. I go to a lot, a lot of conferences you do that are crop agnostic and I mm-hmm. feel like cannabis and everyone else. And I don't know what opinions people have the other crop farmers have of, of the cannabis folks, but I hope we, it could be some appreciation for some of the some of the crazy hoops we have to jump through. Um, I, I would definitely say that there are. Um, I've I I moderated a panel once of growers and and I had a, a lettuce vertical farm grower and a cannabis grower, and the can and and I brought up about lab testing and regulations, and the lettuce grower said like two things, and then the cannabis grower like just starts listing right a laundry list of things that they have to test for. And you literally like the lettuce farmers like jaw is a gape like, like looking at him like, you have to do all that. <laughs> like here we're feeding people, right? And we don't even have to do that much that much testing on on the safety of of our lettuce. But you pour, you know, yeah, he you. I think there is an appreciation when they realize all the hoops that you have to go through. They don't always realize all the hoops that you have to go through, but. Um, I think the ones that that realize that feel for you, yeah. yeah to, to answer your question though, how many do you need? 
I, I'm, I'm still of the opinion, you know, like Chris had said, you know, the bet doing experiments in production environments where you yeah. goes to kind of all the crazy variables that happen is, is a great way to do it. But, you know, to be statistically significant, you, if you take good data and you could, could control three to five plants, that's, mm -hmm. that's plenty. But if you have a small number, then it's really important that you replicate For that, sure. you, that you, you do that experiment, you know, a few times to make sure that your findings are consistent. So, okay, so you guys have now expanded. So, so you guys expanded from Denver to Michigan as live well. And now, now you guys um, are, are with Pharmacan uh, and have some different types of facilities, um, facilities that you maybe inherited um, or improving upon. Um, and I'm sure there's future plans for expansion. Um, but what have you learned you know, from from your first this first facility in Denver and kind of how it was that was built and operated, and then moving into Michigan, you guys got to you know basically design it from scratch, and now you have these new inherited facilities. What have you learned along the way about the different types of facilities and the the pros and cons of each of those types of facilities that you're growing plants in? Uh, I guess I could start this. This is kind of a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You're welcome. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, Andrew and I come from indoor cultivation, controlled environment, in indoor cultivation, at least in a, a, you know, a commercial professional sense. That's, that's what we've primarily done as LiveWell uh, prior to the merger. And now we're Pharmacan, obviously. And uh, eight, we're in eight states now, and notes a number of those states are um, are greenhouses or some some hybrid style thereof. Many of them are sealed greenhouses uh, with mechanical cooling and heating um, and LED lights and shade curtains and all that stuff. So, you know, it's, you have a lot of the luxuries of an indoor facility, but it it does have a glass roof. Uh, and then we've got uh, some greenhouses that are open where we're still, you know, using mechanical ventilation and um, vents and wet walls and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been, a, it's been very interesting for, uh, for Andrew and I uh, taking on the, the Pharmacan or what was the legacy Pharmacan states and becoming extremely familiarized with how to do it in a greenhouse. And, you know, the, the, the Pharmacan team brought a lot of experience and knowledge with them as well in the, in the merger. So it's been very helpful working with uh, some of our, you know, kind of our key players in, in those states that are operating greenhouses. And I think it's been, you know, very synergistic in that regard where, you know, we have a lot of experience from indoor and they've had a lot of experience with greenhouse and we've kind of been able to come together uh, and merge those two uh, sets of expertise to try and um, improve the efficiencies where we can in the greenhouse uh, based on, on that combined knowledge. Is there, what was one of the biggest learning curves that you had in terms of trying to grow in a greenhouse or operate a greenhouse? <laughs> Crickets. Trying, trying to think of a good example. I was trying to think of diplomatic examples. Uh, <laughs> Because going from indoor to greenhouse, I mean, indoor is just built on, you know, um, really strict controls. And, and I know that, the, you know, there are, um, there are green, there are very high tech greenhouses there that, that can um, hit set points perfectly and consistently day in, day out across seasons. 
depending on their geographies. I, you know, it's possible, but yeah, greenhouses, we had to, I think we had to relax our expectations of, mm. of what our set points, uh, like what, what, what our ideal set points were um, for environmental conditions. Uh, and I, I think it was, you know, I, I think it, w- it was eye-opening to realize you can, you can grow, you can grow your crops anywhere uh, under, under a lot of conditions you can get it, like you can, you can grow good plants and, you know, some, I think some of the lessons would be like, man, summers are hot. Like that's <laughs> some, of, some of those like no duh lessons that I think anyone who's listening to this, who grows in the greenhouse, would be like those idiots, but like, that, that's not something that Chris and I necessarily had to deal with in the indoor farm mm. um, before. So there's like, that was my easy answer, I guess. Well now, and now are you saying, oh my God, it can get really cold in a greenhouse? Yeah, this is our first winter um, yeah. uh, with with Farmican um, heading into those seasons, and and so yeah, the um, outside temperatures and humidities change, and that affects your your indoor systems. And so there's a lot, you know. I, I think one one thing we've realized is that um, I think this is true regardless if it's a greenhouse or indoor farm that every facility is is its kind of own unique individual. It has its own identity, and it, it's its own little spaceship with its with its different levers and buttons and quirks and you gotta like it takes a long time to learn a new facility and you know kind of get it learn how to talk to it and get it to um, are the plants the aliens in that analogy (laughs) i feel like i'm the alien (laughs) oh even better (laughs) yeah so yeah there's a lot of you know you kind of you're just kind of yeah we're like learning a new new instrument it feels like yeah I mean, I like that you said that you you've kind of learned that plants can tolerate maybe a wider range of conditions um, than you're able to control in an indoor facility. Um, do you think? I mean, I know you guys are still new to it. You haven't even gone through an entire year of of operating, running a greenhouse uh, facility. But um, do you think there could be benefits or is it only downsides of growing cannabis um in greenhouses versus an an indoor facility and maybe that has to do with the the crop yield and quality or maybe that has to do with efficiency or maybe that has to do with i don't know access to sun whatever yeah that's another loaded question nadia (laughs) (laughs) would you expect they'd all be softball no, yeah, but you, yeah, we. Can, I think I think Chris and I are probably going a lot of different directions here. I, I certainly ge- geographically where you're cultivating is a big factor for you know the suitability of of, of what kind of structure you want to build. And uh, all those facilities of Farmican are like the Northeast and Midwest, right? Like those are not necessarily easy locations to grow in a greenhouse. No, yeah, um, hot and humid in the summer, and then blizzardy cold in the winter, right? Yeah, but yeah, you, you get you know the classic talking points that you you get the the efficiencies of 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 getting the sunlight for free, and I, I think that greenhouse technology is really coming. Chris and I were talking about this earlier. Greenhouse technology is really advancing, where the, kind of the lines blurring between kind of indoor farming controlled ag and and greenhouse, and the most complex greenhouses have mechanical cooling and air filtration and um you know they're they're they've been doing water circulation for for a long time the same way as the lowest tech 
greenhouse you could think of starts blurring the line to being practically an outdoor farm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that that I think that that spectrum is kind of I think all, any any kind of gap between those three paradigms of cultivation, outdoor, greenhouse, and indoor. I, I think that spectrum is kind of getting filled out. The gaps are getting filled out, and you can when you I don't when you ask greenhouse versus indoor. I got to ask you a bunch of follow-up qualifying questions. Fair. Um, I, I noticed here that you actually quoted me uh, saying a year ago uh, to one of your colleagues at MJ BizCon that I said something similar or, or maybe verbatim that indoor is the future of cannabis cultivation. Yeah. Do you still believe that? You know, it's, it, I, I kind of want to walk that back a little bit. You know, Andrew and I talked about this a little bit this week before the call and um yeah, that was a year ago, right? When the merger happened, right? And we were taking on all these greenhouse facilities. And when I, I say walk it back, I, I kind of want to give that with a caveat, which is it's going to be extremely dependent on what the product is that we're trying to produce, right? Yeah. Um, and then also we really have to factor in consistency, right? Um, so seasonally speaking um, in a greenhouse, I guess it depends on the level of control. You know, at some point, you're just building an indoor facility with a glass roof, okay? And then you, there's the semantics there of how much of, of that is really greenhouse anymore. But, you know, seasonally speaking, even in some of these hybrid houses or mechanically cooled heated greenhouse systems, we are seeing seasonal differences in potency, as an example, mm. or flower density. And when, you know, as the market continues to compress and we have to provide uh, a product to the consumer that is consistent, especially when you're talking about flour, like smokable flour product, you know, we need to establish brand consistency and quality. And uh, I still think that controlled indoor growing it provides the highest level of consistency and product quality um, throughout the year. And that's how you build your business models and your yield forecasting and your sales, um, uh, you know, plan. So yeah, I, I still do think that you know, when it comes down to smokable flour, that kind of high quality product, it, it is kind of looking like indoor is the way to go. And then, you know, some of the other things that factor in is like the regulatory framework, you know, the, the requirements, the testing requirements, the cannabis, total yeast and mold, all of those things that we have to conform to. And, and, and what it's looking like is, is those things are only going to tighten down and become more strict. And so that kind of forces our hand a little bit too to, to move towards an environment where we can control all of these uh, variables to produce that, that level of product. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know greenhouse guys who are, you know, their, their greenhouse is, is built adjacent to acreage of outdoor crops that's doing some other, planting some other system. And, you know, they're relying on good relationships of phone calls about not, you know, not flying the airplanes over to apply pesticides when the wind's blowing in a certain direction and you know the um, that kind of neighborly trust can only go so far but if you if, if you get a whole batch if you get a whole crop that you know gets some spray drift and pesticides you know that's uh, a lot of, of plant material that you got to waste and then so if you're putting if you want to put air filtration HEPA filtration on your makeup air in your greenhouse you're, you're, you're kind of iteratively getting steps closer towards it just being an indoor farm mm -hmm. with a transparent roof. Right. Have you, I, I, Chris, I'm glad you brought up 
quality, because that's something that I'm hearing more cannabis growers, especially talk about, especially, you know, in this sort of race to the bottom and, you know, just high supply, at least here in California. Um, I don't know how saturated a lot of other markets are, but here in California, certainly it's an issue. Um, And, you know, I feel like a lot of investors are like, you know, pedal to the metal, wanting more yield, right? More, more, more to make up for the lost revenue of lower prices, which to me seems very counterintuitive because then you're just glutting the market even more and there's your race to the bottom. Um, But some of the smart growers are saying, you know, well, yes, yield, but also quality, that that's going to be the differentiator ultimately in the market. And like you were saying, being consistent, finding cultivars or finding techniques that make you stand out from the crowd, right? In terms of quality or maintaining your shelf space, uh, as we would say in, you know, the produce market. I don't know if you guys use the same terminology in cannabis with dispensaries, but you know, you you want to be a consistent brand, like you were saying. I mean, how much does that factor into to what you guys are doing? And and even when we're talking about greenhouse versus indoor and okay, so you have inconsistent quality characteristics, maybe from summer to fall to, to winter, et cetera. I mean, what do you think about the quality of greenhouse grown cannabis compared to indoor? Do you see sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse or is it always worse or... How, how do you even qualify quality? Um, well, that's, that's another great question. I, I think that you can get absolutely excellent quality out of a greenhouse. We've seen it. Uh, we do it. Uh, we, have a, we have a number of, obviously, you know, greenhouses that produce a, a really high quality product. The, the question is, is how is the, it's, it goes back to the consistency question, right? Like I need to be able to produce that high quality of product, you know, year round, day in, day out, this cultivar needs to be the same. Yeah, I think uh, it's a bit of a challenge there to, to be able to do that consistently in a greenhouse. And then I think maybe another aspect too, is kind of looking to the future in this race to the bottom, as you said, you know, presumably someday, you know, the federal legalization is on the horizon, right? So if that does, if and when that does happen, you're going to be, your, your client base now, you know, could be the country. And so the brand uh, consistency is even more important, right? So, you know, we need to be able to provide that same cultivar in, in a much wider population. It needs to be the same and consistent. Um, so, I, yeah, again, I think it's going to come down to the product type. Why does the cultivar need to be the same? Why couldn't you change it from summer to winter? Or do or can you? Our customers kind of dictate that, right? Do they? <laughs> Yeah, the the we, we seem to get a lot of questions. People people like new, people like variety, but then you also get you know strains that 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 become trending or or popular, and then you have some some consistent varieties or or, or lines that have been around for years and, and are kind of expected and and, and well loved. Um, and the you know the kind of the, also there's a, a freshness component. You know you can't just grow you know, acres and acres and acres and harvest once a year and then hold that product and sell it, you know, there's not, there, you don't have like big bountiful harvests and then sell it year round with the same kind of freshness standard. So you, when you have, when you're talking about quality, being able to kind of consistently harvest year round is really important, which can be done in a greenhouse uh, as, as well as an indoor farm. Um, and, and so kind of keeping that, that, that freshness and quality 
but for, for high quality product, um, it tends to be more favorable in a controlled environment. In terms of like consumer preference, you know, right now everyone is, is pretty obsessed with uh, THC concentration. It's kind of a, I think it's being a, a little falsely equated to the equivalent of like maybe alcohol content of a beer or wine. You know, it's it's the active ingredient of interest. And, and, and I think people have this thinking that a higher number is more bang for your buck. And so that's what they're looking for on the shelves. I think there's a lot of data and evidence out there that that's showing that there's there's not that tight of a correlation between you know absolute potency and and then and then the effects of of that product and and so I'd, I'd hope to see maybe that trend fade out but but cannabis customers are are keenly aware of the the quality metrics um, and very very discerning like I don't I don't know if I've ever heard like the tomato folks talk about customers asking them what the lycopene percentage is of, you know, their heirloom varieties, you know, I don't, the, the consumers have like molecular knowledge of, of our crop. And, and so, which is awesome, but that it's high standards and, uh, you know, growing that consistently year round. And like Chris was saying, kind of also in concert with your supply chain too, to make that freshness demand um, also pushes us towards, you know, kind of indoor kind of favoring some indoor systems or, or increased control. Cause I know like in the winter time, depending on your region, you know, if you're using supplemental light for, di- for daylight extension, we also are, you know, for hitting your consistent yields, you're also considering I need supplemental light for DLI extension. And if I'm going to be putting so much supplemental lighting into my uh, greenhouse to hit you know, to hit my DLI targets. So that's a huge, that's a lot of, that's a big capital investment. That's a lot of lights. And then my energy bill, you know, I'm going to be running all those lights. So you start getting these, you know, trade-offs from some of the classic um, pros of, of uh, glass house growing. And you start, you start making those investments in your technology anyway, to be hitting your, your quality standards and your, and your productivity standards year round. So, yeah. Yeah, cannabis is interesting, right? Because, I mean, one of the quality characteristics that it has is a quantitative number, is this THC percentage or CBD percentage or, you know, um, this percentage value. And just like you said, you know, there you, you don't go to the produce aisle and look for, you know, lycopene content, you know, or something similar for, for other produce, you How know, we carotenoids just, are in your carrots. Like. Yeah, exactly. We're like, oh, that looks pretty or, oh, just give me that bag that's already prepackaged for me. And, you know, I, I trust that it's good for me and, I'm, and it tastes good or I'm going to put it in my stew and, you know, it's going to make it thicker, whatever it is. Um, and that might be the quality that you're, you're looking for. I, I, I think that's a really interesting comparison to, to make. And it's sort of ironic to, to have cannabis that has this quantitative metric of quality that might not even matter that much. I mean, it matters, but how much value we put on it might not matter as much. I have a a question. What is the shelf life of cannabis? Like once you've packaged it up, I've never asked this question before. Like, is it like good for three months, six months? Like once it's in a sealed container? I think it depends a lot on the packaging type and the storage condition. So yeah, I know it's always annoying to ask a question and and just- No, it's fine. Follow-up questions, but- uh, yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with how you package it, how you store it. But I think traditionally, and, and this is a topic that's getting discussed um, you know, in regulatory environments mm-hmm. and 
And I think brands are, are asking themselves that question because you want to make sure that your consumer is always getting fresh, high quality product. And so I think that, that we found in our experience that, you know, four to six months is kind of an upper limit. And, okay. and you, you can do things, like I said, packaging and storage conditions to extend, to extend that life. Or if you don't have those things in control, you're going to have a shorter you're gonna have an even yeah. shorter shelf life than that. It, it totally depends. It depends on your your environment. Are you in Colorado, where the humidity? Are you are you in, in, in a desert climate in the in the Southwest U.S. where the humidity is really low? Because you could you know you leave that out on you leave that out on your um, kitchen table for a you know for a day and it's gonna dry out. Yeah. So if that's if that's drier than you want it to, so there's also we also have to have you know there's a bit about education about you know consumers when they take when they take a product and, and bring it home, if they bought an ounce and they'd like that ounce to last them for the month, you know, kind of storing that correctly, keeping the lid on it, or you know, um, cigar connoisseurs. I was gonna say I, we stick it in our humidor if we know we're gonna keep some joints around for a while. Goes yeah. in the humidor with the cigars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only so much you can do after it leaves the store. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say that's probably about. I think I think people would say that's about average. Yeah, I, I would I would I would echo that. I'd say people have very strong opinions too about how long you know a smokable flower is good for shelf life wise. But yeah, I think to Andrew's point, it's it's all about optimizing the storage conditions, um, and then and then making sure that you're producing at a rate which is consistent with your you know retail mm -hmm. okay so switching gears a little bit what does the word efficiency mean to you guys or the big gear switch i know you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah intellectual whiplash all right <laughs> i gave you no segue on that one yeah okay <laughs> Yeah, I think Chris and I think about it a lot from like um, resource use efficiency and how do we take take the resources that we have and, you know, use those to, you know, uh, make the make the most of make the most of what you have. Um, and so if for en energy or, or, or water or um, or uh, labor, how, how can you um, if you're limited on resources, how can you how can you do the most with what you've got? So, and then without obviously sacrificing, we just talked about sacrificing quality. So you kind of have to, um, you know, it's, it's a process. How, how do you, how do you tune your, how do you tune your process so that you're, you're using your, your conscientious of the resources you're using that may or may not be finite, but you're, but they affect your, you know, they affect your bottom line and then making the most product at, at you're still hitting your quality standard. That's uh, probably the most generic answer I could give. <sighs> <laughs> Do you have an example where you maybe discovered that less was more? You know, we talked about having more light, right? 1% more light, 1% more yield. Have you come across anything where giving the plant less produced more of something? Well, I, I mean, I guess with LED technology uh, and the ability to control the environments, we have certainly started to find what the upper threshold is for light. Okay. Because um, obviously with LED, one of the cool aspects about it is we have an opportunity to push higher levels of light uh, than was traditionally thought possible before under you know, HID light. And so I think obviously there's a lot of interest uh, to find out where that ceiling is with this 1% light equals 1% mm -hmm. yield. 
And so we, we have been working quite a bit to kind of push the envelope and find out where that is, you know, how much light is too much light to put into a facility. Um, when, and, and I think we've started to find, you know, where that range is. And, and again, it becomes kind of a cultivar specific conversation, right? Some cultivars can take more light than others. And one of the really nice things about LEDs is we can cater that, or we can, um, we can have dynamic dimming set points for our lights for specific cultivars that can take additional light versus ones that might not be able to tolerate quite as much. So I think light is an example of, you know, there is certainly the, a, a too much factor, right? Where we do need to back it down because we're starting to see, you know, poor crop health or maybe non-advantageous growth that isn't inter of interest to us from a production standpoint. What about even like irrigation, fertilizers, HVAC, like is, is some thoughts that come to my mind is, did you start with maybe a higher irrigation or fertilize, fertilizer rate and reduce that, found what, you know, what the threshold and you're like, oh no, you know, we can scale this back a little bit and still get, you know, what uh, the product yield or quality that we want. Um, or have you kind of stuck by your original irrigation or fertilization rates? Yeah, I think every, all of our parameters, we've gone through that exercise of finding the Goldilocks, you know, setting and you, you, you try to push your crop, you know, with more food, maybe more nitrogen or something until you, you either hit, that's either a stress response or you're not getting, you know, you, you don't get more out of your plant to either be toxic or, or just not getting more improvement. And so you, you, you find that, find those lines and you try going back the other direction and, and doing less of something and until you, you, you hone in on that kind of that Goldilocks just right level. And I, I think we've, I think we've kind of done that with all aspects of our, of our cultivation. I, we're not done. I, I, I've always told our ownership team that I will, um, I will retire when I run out of ideas to like. <laughs> so you know, never. If, if I've got, if I, have no, <laughs> if I have nothing left to test or work on, I'll let them know. Uh, and that hasn't happened yet. But yeah, I think we went, we, I think we went through that process with a lot of things, you know, with, with yeah. fertilizer, you know, what's the EC until they're right at that optimal level with how much water to give and, and how often um, we, yeah, I think we, I think we've done that for, for just about everything. When you talk to other growers, as I know you do, what advice, well, what, I guess what I want to ask is what do they ask you? you know, are they asking you for advice? Are they asking you like what your experience was like? Or, I mean, you know, kind of like how, how I introduced at the beginning, you guys have been around for a long time. And I'm sure that, you know, I know growers look up to you. Um, you're probably mentors when you don't even realize it in some cases, but how has the interaction been with other growers and what kind of questions do they ask you? I mean, you don't even have to give the answers. I'm just curious. Like, are, do they do they ask you the same questions I asked you? Like, would you ever grow in a greenhouse? Um, <laughs> or do they ask you, you know, what's your experience like with, you know, operating a central plant? Or um, what was your experience like with Argus? I mean, you know, anything. Yeah, I think everyone always uh, takes any opportunity to compare notes. So I don't, I'm not sure how much I felt like I've ever, I'm in any kind of mentorship role or, or, or people are coming to ask, you know, how does live well do it specifically? But I, I think, yeah, I think growers are constantly comparing notes. Uh, what did you think of this vendor? 
did it did it break on you the day you got it did it did it last a long time did it you know what do you what do you think of do you like to lower temperatures at this time during the during the night or do you like to change your feed strength at this time during the you know this phase of the flower development I, I think I think everyone's constantly trying to find out if there's something they could be doing better or to confirm if what they're doing is correct I, I think I think people do do that a lot I think it, it covers all it kind of cover covers all the all the topics it's almost the, there's you, you could put it's annoying if you put two growers together at the same dinner table like that's all <laughs> they'll talk about so that I, I like listening to those two growers yeah. talk though well, I, I would be one of them <laughs> I uh, know <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's my experience yeah I, I would agree I think I think a lot of it is like confirmation validation of what you're currently doing and, and oftentimes mm. comparing notes because I'm, I, I it doesn't matter to me like you know what the size of the operation is that you work at or I'm just I'm interested in your experience because you know oftentimes there's there's parallels that we can we can discuss that we both see or or you you know something that I haven't thought about or I have this interesting question about drying and curing um, you know what are your opinions on it um, so I think just kind of a lot of like bouncing ideas off each other and and everybody wants to feel like what we know now is consistent with what other people are seeing in the field and kind of reinforcement of procedures that we're already doing because right now it seems like it's it's a lot of like small incremental changes right you know we've done we've done I think as an industry we've done a lot of a lot of heavy lifting uh, over the years to get to where we're at now and so now the the, the gains I think are smaller uh, the efficiency gains mm. or quality gains and so yeah it's really just more detail-oriented conversation around really specific aspects of the process and how we can optimize those. I, I tend to also be in, I think the situations I put myself in where I'm meeting other growers tends to be at forums where kind of the bar is high and, and it, it's kind of like-minded people seeking knowledge or, or, or techniques uh, to learn from, you know, other engineers or other vendors or uh, other experts in research or something. So so those conversations tend to be, I, I've always just been very, fairly impressed with kind of the level of know-how that I, I've seen improve within the industry over the last, the 10 years I've been in it. So I, you know, those have been the interactions I've, I've had. Every now and again, I feel like we have an opportunity to kind of educate or communicate. I know a few years ago, this is maybe like 2019 or something, the Denver uh, updated their energy code to have a requirement for indoor horticulture buildings to have a minimum photon efficacy for, for their lighting fixtures, and which, which pretty much meant you had to go LED. There, I think there were some uh, carve-outs that allowed some extreme examples of like double-ended HPS that could conform, but, but in general, it's pretty much an energy code that said all new construction had to go LED. And so at, I was a part of the, I was engaged in that process. Uh, and at the end of it, was feeling like the, they made that energy code and growers were going to be affected by it. And so I, I'd volunteered with LiveWell to go to do, to kind of do like a, um, to give a talk about to anyone who had any questions about, can, you know, growing under LEDs and what my experience was in converting from HPS to LED and the research I did to kind of convince myself and my owners that this was going to be okay. And so I, I kind of like, I, I kind of walked 
walked growers in, in Denver kind of through that at a talk. And I remember a lot of people coming up afterwards and asking me more questions because I kind of had to cram all that information into a quick little talk. And a lot of people came up and asked more questions about that. Just looking for, like, like, was, like Chris was saying earlier, just kind of looking for confirmation. Like, you know, if I'm, you did it, it's going to be okay if I do it. I just want to double check. It's, I think everyone's just kind of, everyone's happy to hear that they're on the right track. And so, but yeah, like, like Chris said, I, I don't know if scale, scale always matters, you know, it's mm -hmm. no matter how, no matter how big you are, you kind of, your, your, your challenges are the same and, and you you're worried about the same stuff. You know, you're worried about your plants for all the same reasons. Have uh, the industry and growers in, in cannabis always been so collaborative and open like you guys are describing or do you think there's been a period or there still are some niches where it's I don't know maybe more on the competitive side where closed down where people aren't talking about what they're doing I think it depends who you ask yeah uh, I, I I think some people I don't know if it if it's if it's ego or if they're just kind of posturing for for brand recognition but there's there's definitely people out there that like to get high on the smell of their own farts and just think that the way they do it is is the best and and they don't want to they and they they don't want to tell anyone what the secret sauce is yeah i i really kind of feel like that maybe is is the exception to the rule i personally i've always been pretty open about talking about this stuff i'm a big believer of high tides raise all ships and yeah i, I see that a lot i i think i think that's the norm in the community is to talk pretty openly about it because it, it, for a lot of these people it starts it's like a passion first Mm. There, there's like a really strong culture around the product and the practice of, of doing the farming. And obviously it's a business and, and you know, people have trade secrets and, and stuff like that. But um, I, I think that there's a, a lot of, I think a lot of people in, engage in, in that open communication. What were you going to say, Chris? Uh, no, I, I actually, I kind of agree with, I, I certainly agree with what Andrew is saying. And I, I would say that early on in the cannabis space, people were really guarded and everybody thought they had some secret sauce method for how they did their particular practice. And yeah, a lot of people were standoffish, unwilling to share, or even like tore you through their grow, you know? And I think over the last 10 years, that's 12 years, uh, that's completely changed. People are operating at such a high level now that, you know, even the, the conversations are happening at such a high level now, you just have to have kind of so much knowledge anyway to even like really talk about these concepts that I think it has, it, it, it has just become a big open forum, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when I talk to cannabis growers, you guys talk a lot about working with others and conferring with each other. Um, like you said, validating or confirming the practices and the technologies that you're using. I, I don't always feel like that in the vertical farming space. Um, and I, I'm, you know, that industry, need, you know, I, I, there is definitely a push, right, for, for them to be more transparent, to talk more about what they're doing, because... Do you think that, do you think that the scale thing, Nadia, do you think that's truer for the, for bigger vertical yes, farming? For so sure. I think for, I think for smaller scale vertical farming, that it, it's wide open books. 
I think smaller is less of that competition, but I mean, it's an, it's investor driven is yeah. what I would say, right? right? It's not grower driven. Biotechnology and, and investment. Yeah, because they're investing there and it, what you just said in technology, not in the plant necessarily. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of failures in that industry. And, and I wonder, right? I think a few of us wonder, you know, how much more successful could that industry be if they would op- not open your books, like we don't need to know everything, but just be more open, be more collaborative, talk more at least about the failure so that everybody doesn't go down the failed route, right? And so that at least we're focused on new ideas and, and on the successes and not just the failures. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of why I wanted to ask your question because, you know, when I first started six or seven years ago, cannabis also felt very guarded, like you said, Chris, um, and people weren't talking much and, and, and it was across both of those industries, but something shifted and I don't know what it was in the cannabis industry where all of a sudden it became much more open, but vertical farming didn't take that same path. It's, it stayed guarded. And, and I don't know if you know what that switch was. Maybe there are just enough growers, right? Maybe vertical farming hasn't reached a critical mass yet, right? Of, of success of people doing the same thing to, to collaborate the same way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they're competing for smaller markets or bigger markets. I, I have no idea. I don't, I'm not, expect- I'm not much of a finance guy, so I, I really can't <laughs> really speak to this stuff about kind of investor. Yeah. 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 Kind of the, the way that works. Um, I maybe have a suspicion that has something to do with that, but yeah, I, I know like on the hobby level, people love talking about farming for themselves and how I can make my own herbs in my kitchen and, and make my own produce in my and hydroponics in general. Right. Yeah. 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 And so I, I see a really thriving community about that. It, it seems to be about the people feeling like they have the secret sauce to scale it mm-hmm. and they, they want to, they want to stay guarded about that. But yeah, I, I, I like the open and, and collaborative nature, learn a lot, especially learn a lot, like talking to vendors and stuff, kind of sharing all of our successes and failures back to the vendors, the people that make the equipment. And yeah, because they're going to make the equipment better if you tell them what's working and not working. Right. So yeah, o- always love engaging with, with people that way, the people that make the stuff that we use. Cause yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to make that stuff. I'm, that's not what I do. And, and for, you know, for, for myself, I appreciate that you guys, you know, will tell us that, well, mostly you guys have told us we've been successful. So of course they appreciate that, (laughs) but you know, like just getting that feedback, right. I mean, that's really what we're looking for is to know that we're doing a good job, that we're meeting your needs, whether you're selling a product or selling a service like we do, you know, we're, we're only going to stay in business if we continue to help people like you. Um, and if we're not doing a good job, I would think all of us would want to know so that we can try to do better or go elsewhere, I guess. So, all right. So just kind of wrapping up here, how do you guys predict this industry is going to evolve over the next, I don't know, few years to, to 10 years? It seems like, I mean, probably the obvious one is some form of legalization. At the federal level? Yeah, at a federal level and, and slowly over a global level, Europe and Germany just recently, I think, um, moved to, to you know, uh, legalize and, and so Europe and it'll, it'll, I think that'll happen. So I, and I think that'll, that'll shift a lot of stuff when it comes to banking and tax codes and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, it'll be really good for 
for the industry and, and, and adoption. I, I think like you, we just talked about now, but manufacturers getting better at what they do and cultivators getting better at what they do. I think we're going to see that. I think that's going to continuous improvements going to go be better efficiency. Um, you're going to see probably more, more like the rest of agriculture where there's, there's some, some giants emerge in the biotechnology side where you've get a lot more, you know, the breeding and the development of new strains and then and the creation of more efficient technologies, farming equipment um, catered to this plant. Uh, I think you're going to keep seeing that stuff come out more and more as we, as it gets developed. So yeah, I think you're going to see yeah, high, higher tech because you know, there's been a hundred years of prohibition. We kind of missed cannabis mm -hmm. kind of missed all those gains that all, all the other crop sectors got to do. So there's kind of there's kind of this explosive catch up that's happening right now. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I also think automation, you know, it's cannabis is a very resource intensive crop. Um, obviously, you know, inputs like, you know, electricity and, and resources, uh, fertilizer inputs, all that type of stuff. But also labor. I mean, it's just a it's a needy crop. There's a lot of uh, specificity to it that right now requires a lot of hands um, and kind of in that same vein of what Andrew was saying, you know, we've got to kind of catch up to where commercial ag is, you know, they're doing in these, you know, multi-hectare glass houses, um, you know, officially producing tomatoes or, or whatever the crop is. So I think that's what we're going to see a lot of develop. And I think a, a lot of the reason why it hasn't developed is because of the fact that everything's siloed by state, right? So there's only so much demand in a state. So I can only have so much cultivation in a state and to be efficient at that scale and to need that, that level of automation, you have to be producing a certain, you know, volume of product for it to make mm. sense. And so I think that the current regulations and laws has, has kind of been holding us back in that way because we haven't had the need uh, to scale up that large uh, to service a wider market to where automation always makes sense. The way it does in commercialized uh, greenhouse crops. That's a really good point. If if cannabis, assuming cannabis in the near future, it will, uh, is rescheduled or descheduled, and and all of a sudden, right, our, our land grant universities um, can start doing research on you know on cannabis and not just hemp or marijuana, I guess, and not just hemp. What is an area of need? Like right now, if, if, if you are talking to an academic researcher and they're like, what do you want us to study? What do you want them to study? What's the first thing? The first thing. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> or the second thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think pest management is a category that has a, a lot of opportunity um, for, for research. Um, the cannabis industry has, has been put into an interesting position, uh, just being federally illegal, where at least in the U.S., the EPA controls what products are approved for what crops. And it's changed a bit in the last couple of years since the hemp uh, legalized in the farm bill, but um, don't really know a whole lot about pest management tools and, and cannabis and the effects on, on the products and the consumers. So I think that's a big area of research interesting. Uh, to focus on. I don't know if you thought I was going to say pest management. <laughs> I did not think you were going to say that. Well, oh, what's no. yours, Chris? I mean, this is a, this is outside of my domain, but I think I, I think everybody sees the the need, the writing on the wall. I think pharmacological research. If we could really sick, you know, the the world of academe on that particular subject matter, because I mean, we just mm. it's such a complex plant, um, just with so many compounds that 
we, we just are barely scratching the surface on understanding how that interacts with our biology and, and what type of, of med medicines might be developed with, you know, either whole plant medicine or some constituents thereof of all of these compounds that exist in the plant. Uh, I just think there's just so much work to do there. And, and we're just so limited by not having the ability for research institutions to just, you know, go full till. Yeah. Wow, I'd very get, different answers. I love that. What, what, got, what? Oh, go ahead. Got, now I'm thinking of more. Uh -huh. but, um, so yeah. number two. <laughs> That's a good one. I, I'd be curious, the um, kind of spectrum control, now that we have LEDs, we've got access to great LEDs, we can do high levels of light intensity, we can, we can tune and change and modulate the spectrums. We know that the plants respond to them differently. Um, it's such a complex um, process to design all that experimentation to, to come up with applications of that knowledge uh, that the growers don't necessarily have the time to be to be tuning all those wavelengths yeah. over and over and repeated studies to like to get this out of their crop or that out of their crop and so I, I think there's a lot of I think that's going to keep uh, researchers in that space busy for a long time but it, what would be great is then to kind of see applications of that come out into kind of commercial products yeah so EPAR and amber light and UV and, and all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a big, I, I think there's a bunch, um, I think there's a bunch to learn there. Yeah, nice. I, I, I love your different answers. All right, so last question for the both of you, which is what do cannabis plants crave? Chris and I, Chris and I talked about this earlier. Uh, my answer was attention. Um, Good one. Yeah, and I and I was going to ask you besides Gatorade. Um, I was thinking <laughs> Brondo. Um, yeah, <laughs> Brondo. <laughs> um, uh, I think they're they're mostly craving more engineering and horticultural expertise. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I agree with that answer. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up with my rapid fire questions. So I realize that I have two of you answering these questions. And so if they're different answers, awesome. If they're the same answers, maybe you can just say them um, in harmony. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> all right. They're just meant to be like really quick responses. If you want to expand on anything, you can, but just like one word, one sentence. All right. Are you guys ready? Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Are cannabis plants introverts or extroverts? Extroverts. I would agree. Yeah. Do you want to say why? You don't oh, have to. Well, I, I don't know. They they're gonna do what they're gonna do. They care very little about what we want them to do sometimes. Um <laughs> despite our best efforts. <laughs> they're real showy. They like they put themselves out there like yeah. real they're with their their flowers and their 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 scents and yeah, they're uh they're pretty and they smell good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can cannabis create a more sustainable world? Oh, Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, that that plant, and I know obviously the um, sector we're in is is growing, you know, adult use and medical use cannabis. But and right now hemp is really getting distracted on the CBD side, which is an awesome space to be developing. Uh, but there are so many uses for this plant. This used to be such an important plant for our, our civilization, and this last hundred years that it's been gone has been a shame. Mm -hmm. There, 
bring, bringing this plant back for all the other different reasons. I'm excited. I wish I, I wish more of that is, would get talked about, but it, it's kind of in development. I have no doubt that uh, that whole cannabis revolution will, will take off. I'm not going to say we're distracted. I, I think that we got to focus on all this stuff. And there's some other those other uses of that crop. I haven't gotten as much attention yet, but yeah. they will. Yeah, agreed. Okay, what for each of you? What's the worst advice you've been given about growing cannabis? Oh, um, <laughs> cross lumens are bad. <laughs> Oh, I can't top that. Cross lumens? Mm-hmm. You want me to expand on that? I have no fire. idea what that even means. <laughs> well, we didn't originally. Yeah, someone a long time ago uh, told me that, quote, cross lumens are bad. And I think what he meant was that, like, light coming at a, you know, you want your light to come from above. You don't want your light to come at an angle. And, and he described lights as lumens. So the cross cross lumens were bad. You wanted, you know, I, I don't know if this had to do with like pound per light. And so you're thinking that, you know, the plants underneath the light, that's where your pounds come from. And the lights next to it aren't for that plant. What? You know? <laughs> oh, hey, I, you, you asked me what the worst advice I, I did. was. And that was it. Cross lumens are bad. Wow. Wow. I um, you said that to me. <laughs> Do you know who said that to you? Do you remember? Okay. Yeah, you can tell me offline. <laughs> and, and Chris, you can't beat that. Um, I guess I could go, go back to some like early on in my, you know, professional development with Livewell. Um, some advice that was strongly worded to me from some other people in the space was that switching away from these like special hobby line nutrients was never going to work. Like mm. you just can't recreate the magic that they put in those bottles and slap a hundred X price tag on that. Like, this is not possible. Where there's, so, so many, like, there's so many parts in that chart has all the yeah, colors on it. Right. You gotta... Pretty things and yeah. Feed charts and like that. You're never going to replicate that magic. So <laughs> don't even try. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you went and tried <laughs> You're like screw you. Yeah. Um, if you could tell a new grower to do anything, what would it be? Try hard. Be open, ask questions. Great answers. What has the cannabis plant taught you guys? Resilience. <laughs> That's good. The, there, there's always more that I, I don't know yet. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, last question. Flower, edible, or vape? Flower. Flower, for sure. No contest. Agreed. Awesome. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Well, thanks guys so much for spending two hours with me today. Um, I was wondering how long we might go with, with interviewing two of you. You guys have been my first twofer. Um, yeah. yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for the interaction. Thanks for the discussion. I really, this was fun and I got to learn more about you, um, which is awesome. So yeah. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, we probably could have done two more hours. Uh, of course. A, so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we really appreciate you uh, having us. We um, we've never forgotten that that conference in Panama. You've uh, we've always had a, a heck of a lot of respect for you and learned so much from you. So it's, we feel like it's a big honor that uh, you uh, invited us to um, to come on to your to your show. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Nadia. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I know we've all wanted to do this for a long time, so I'm glad we got to finally make it happen. 
Me too. Um, the perfect episode to do it. So, um, all right. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, happy holidays. I don't know if I'll get to, to talk to you um, before the new year again, um, but it was really fun. And thanks again for commemorating this this special episode. I realize you're not just the 25th interview. In a way, you're the 25th and the 26th interview. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, take Thanks, care. Guys. Bye. Thanks. Bye.